Let's open for Bible to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32 this morning. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're, we're in this series for the next two years so that our faith would be strengthened to know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kenson. I serve as the pastor of our Bridgeport Church. So grateful to have a chance to be with you all this morning. Uh, your pastor, Pastor Rafe, is actually using his teaching gift uh, at our church right now in Bridgeport. And I'm super grateful uh, to have him there. Uh, on occasions, we like to have different pastors up here teaching and elders teaching. Uh, just that way, have a chance to hear from a different voice and see, you know, that another person, you know, who loves the Word of God and being able to bring that uh, to people. So really grateful to have a chance to do that this morning. So Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Let me read our verses, and then we will jump right in. So verse 27. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, this church amazes me because of the people that God chooses. You know, now I don't know everyone here at South Loop, but I know enough of your faces here just to know how different we are. That we come from different backgrounds, different interests, different parts of the country, and the Lord has saved us brought us together so that we can be part of his renewing work here in Chicago. And in our verses today, we see the calling of Levi, the tax collector. Levi, also known as Matthew, the author of the first gospel, he is one of the most head-scratching and remarkable choices that Jesus makes to be his disciple. Now, what makes Matthew or Levi remarkable is not because Levi was some sort of all-star, but quite the opposite. He was seen during that time as the scum of the earth. And frankly, when you would consider all the people that Jesus chose to follow him, many of them would fit into the category of most unlikely to succeed. It's as though Jesus would go out of his way to select the most unsavory, unusual characters to follow him. That in his group of 12 disciples, he had a zealot, he had a tax collector, which I'm surprised he didn't kill each other. You had fishermen. These are people who had nothing in common at all. Why does Jesus choose these kind of people? What's the criteria for his choosing? Uh, let me show you 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and how God chooses people. It says this from the Apostle Paul. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
So there's a basis of God's choice. It's to choose to, to have the foolish things of this world shame the wise. If this is how God chooses, then everything makes sense. Peter makes sense. A guy who, who acts before thinking would be a good choice because he's foolish. Doubting Thomas is a good choice. James and John, who fought over who would be the greatest just after Jesus just shared that he's about to die. These guys are a good choice. They were foolish and the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You know, we, only, we also see this not just with the disciples, but with other people in the Bible. We see this with Abram or Abraham. He is called the father of faith. But two times he got so scared that he was willing to betray his wife to another man to save his back. You look at the story of Exodus, and who does God choose to be his vocal representative of the children of Israel before Pharaoh? Moses, a man who had insecurities about his speech impediment. You also have the guy Gideon. He was so scared of the Midianites that he would not thresh wheat at the top of the hill where the Mediterranean winds would come through and blow the shaft away so the wheat would fall down to the ground. He was too scared to do that because to do that might mean that the Midianites would see where he's at. So he decides to thresh down in the valley where there was no wind at all. So it would be a total wasted effort to try to, to separate the wheat and chaff. And we read that it's in this moment, this scared Gideon, that the angel of the Lord calls him a mighty man of valor. It almost sounds like a cruel joke, but this is the type of people God chooses because God doesn't see us like we see us. He doesn't see you like who you are now, but who you will become once he gets his hands on your life and breathes into you and inspires you and uses you by the Spirit for his glory. God doesn't see you as who you are, but he knows who you will become. All great artists do this. A great artist doesn't just see a block of wood or, or a piece of stone. He sees the finished product once it comes into his hands. You know, my kids do this all the time with their Legos. You know, the Legos in our house, they've all now been jumbled up into one big box. They used to be separated, but, you know, we, we gave up on that. So it's all in one big box, and when the kids go to the Lego box, they will declare something like, I'm going to build a house, or I'm going to build a car, and they build it. Now, I'm not saying that my kids are great artists. As a matter of fact, I've seen what they've made, and I'm pretty sure they will not be great artists. But, 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 here's the point. They see more than just a jumbled box of Legos. They know what the Legos will become once they get their hands on it. You know, today we're going to see the same thing happening to Levi, that this is one of the most despised persons in society. And Jesus, he gets his hands on him and transforms him for God's glory. Now, here are the three points to move us along in our verses today. And let me show it to you, the three points. The wonderful grace that Jesus shows, the change that Jesus brings, and then finally, the joy that Jesus gives. The wonderful grace, the change, and the joy. So first point, the wonderful grace Jesus brings. Verse 27 again. After this, he went down and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, 
follow me. Now, when it says Levi was a tax collector, it's telling us a couple of things. First, Levi was brilliant. By the nature of the job, he was probably fluent in at least three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, because these would be the people that he would collect taxes from. Levi was literate, which was very, which was very rare back in those ancient times. And we also know that he would have been competent in keeping up very complicated records. So Levi was an educated man. Secondly, Levi, being a tax collector, also tells us that he was part of a corrupt system. Tax collectors in the time of Jesus were Jewish people who signed up to work for Rome. And the Roman Empire were the oppressors of the Jewish people. This is why tax collectors were so hated, because they were seen as traitors of their own people. In addition, tax collectors were known for their extortion, that whatever the tax was that was required from Rome, the tax collector would add a surcharge that they would keep for themselves. And the Roman government would turn a blind eye to this because this was the very perk to recruit local Jewish people, to recruit them to a job that everyone would hate you for because you could make lots and lots and lots and lots of money. We read later on that Levi has a big party at his house, which means that he probably had a very big house with many servants. So we see here that Levi, he worked for Rome, he collected taxes, and not only that, when he would collect taxes from his own people, he had the power of Rome behind him. So you had to pay whatever he demanded. And this is the person who was sitting at the tax booth. Levi, he had lots of money, he lived a comfortable life, he was a gifted and talented man, he was part of an oppressive and corrupt governmental system, he was a man without ethics, and he was a man who did not mind adding to the burden of his neighbors as long as he was able to make his own life better. In verse 27, it says that Jesus saw this man when he was sitting at his tax booth. Notice that Jesus didn't see Levi at his house, didn't see him at the local coffee shop, didn't see him at the neighborhood park. He saw Levi in action collecting taxes. Levi breaking the eighth commandment of not stealing. Levi breaking the ninth commandment that you shall not bear false witness. Breaking the tenth commandment that you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. Actually, when you think about it, Levi is breaking the whole second half of the ten commandments, which could be summed up as loving your neighbor as yourself. So when Levi is sitting at the tax booth, he is actively engaging, engaging in breaking the commandments of God. And this is the man that Jesus says and looks at and says, follow me. This is the doctrine of election. Doctrine of election. That Jesus approaches him. That Jesus initiates relationships with him. That he wasn't looking for God. God looked for him. Levi's a sinner. He's not out there searching for Jesus. He hasn't even gotten out of his tax booth chair. He's not pursuing Jesus. He's not requesting Jesus. But Jesus comes to him. This is the wonderful grace that Jesus brings. You know, in verse 30, it says that the Pharisees grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat with tax collectors 
and sinners. Now notice in verse 30, they're asking the disciples, but Jesus is the one who answers them and not the disciples, which most likely meant that the disciples didn't know how to answer the question either. Jesus, why are we spending time with the scum of the earth? Jesus, why don't you just stick with fishermen? You know, I mean, like, we might not have the fancy education that Levi has, but at least we're known to be hardworking people. We make an honest living. So why call Levi? Jesus answers the question, verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The call of Levi is a marvelous sample of God's grace. You know, sometimes, you know, we would like to believe that, you know, the reason I'm a Christian is because I am so special, you know, that I'm the apple of God's eye. No, you're not. You are not. This is what God does. God picks nobodies and loves them. This is my story. This is your story. And the religious people, they don't get it. How could God love these people? They don't understand that God's love is demonstrated in his grace. That God doesn't choose us because we are lovely. He chooses us to make us lovely. That is how God works. That Jesus calls the least likely and the least deserving to come to him. That Jesus says, follow me to the thief on the cross. That to this violent criminal, Jesus says that today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus says, follow me to Saul of Tarsus. He was a man who hated Christians for everything that they stood for. Paul says this of himself in 1 Timothy 1.13. I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Jesus has come to the world to save sinners. This is the grace of God. He chooses the foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And why does he do this? It's so that no human being might boast in his presence. If there is hope for Levi, if there is hope for the thief on the cross, if there is hope for Saul of Tarsus, There is hope for every one of us today because Jesus is gracious. Amen? Amen. Here's the second point. The change Jesus brings. Once again, verse 27. And after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Notice Jesus didn't say, Levi, if you clean up your act, then you might have some talents that I can use. He doesn't say that because Jesus knew his heart. I believe that Jesus knew that Levi was burdened by his sin, that in spite of all the money that he was making, in spite of all the power that Levi had because of Rome, Levi was wrecked by his sin. And Jesus, he must have looked into his heart and not only saw the sinfulness in his heart, but he also saw the hunger that Levi had, the hunger for righteousness, the thirst for righteousness. So when Jesus said to follow me, Levi immediately did just that because the Holy Spirit had made his heart ready to receive Christ. Levi was changed from the inside out. Now, when Jesus said to Levi, follow me, notice that this is a completely open-ended request. 
Jesus gives no specifics on what it means to follow him. Jesus doesn't have like a long track record of like, let me show you the last 20 years of my disciple making and what it produces. If Actually, if, if Levi saw that, he might not have followed him. But he doesn't get any of that. All he says is, follow me. And can I just say that for some of us type A personalities, and I'm sure there's ton of us, tons of us in here, this type of stuff is a no-go. Because we don't commit to anything unless I know what I'm getting involved in. Unless every dot I is dotted, every T is crossed. You know, just think about recruitment for college. If the school wants you, well, what does the school do? Does the school will send you a nice brochure? Brochure. You'll get a call from their admissions department telling you of all their wonderful programs, the scholarships that are available, the success rates of their graduates. They'll give you a tour of the campus. This is how a school, if they want you, this is how they try to recruit you. Or if you're being recruited for a job, the HR department will show you their mission and vision statement and why, why their work matters in the world. You'll see the benefits package. You'll go out to lunch with some of their key managers. This is all par for the course when it comes to recruiting. This is what you do. Jesus does none of this. All Jesus says, Levi, follow me. I got no program. I got no brochure. I got no PowerPoint slides. I got nothing. Just the Son of Man saying, follow me. And how does Levi respond? Verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. What Levi demonstrates here is true repentance. You know, repentance means a change in direction. That one day that you're on the road of sin and hell, and now you're on the road of Jesus and salvation. And Levi, he wasn't like the rich young ruler who could not give up his wealth. Levi drops everything. And what Levi does here, it is irreversible. Now, for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who were all fishermen, they left their nets to follow Jesus. But they could always come back to fishing if they chose to. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what they do when Jesus is crucified and buried. They go back to fishing. But for Levi, there is no turning back from this. The Romans would not have welcomed back a man who had abandoned his tax booth. This was an irreversible decision, and Levi made it because he was changed from the inside out. That money was no longer his Lord. Jesus was his Lord. When Jesus calls us to follow him, we are called to a new and completely different life. Following Jesus means that we share our life with his, with his life. Following Jesus means that we go where Jesus goes. Do, do, we do what Jesus does. We believe what Jesus says. It means that we suffer what Jesus suffers and finding joy in who Jesus is. This is Levi. He has changed. The call to Levi for Levi was not, hey, Levi, I want you to add believing in Jesus to your old way of life. Just keep doing all the things that you're doing and just, you know, just, just to add Jesus to the side here. No, it was to leave the old way of life and to pursue something new. Levi walked away from his career, his vocation, his wealth, his power, his income, his tax table, and became a follower of Jesus. This is the changing act of repentance. He goes from being a very greedy man to being a very generous man. 
He goes from being filled with guilt to being filled with joy. He goes from taking advantage of others to helping others proclaim Jesus until there is no place left. Levi repents of his old way of life and he's trusting Jesus for a new way of life. This is what it means to be changed by Jesus. You repent of the sin that gets in between you and Jesus. You trust Jesus. You want to be like Jesus. You want to be near Jesus. You want to be for Jesus. You want to proclaim Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. Friends, let me ask, is this true of you? Are you following Jesus? Are the acts of repentance obvious and clear from your life like Levi? Is Jesus doing that work in your heart? Here's the final point. The joy that Jesus gives. The joy that Jesus gives. So Levi, by leaving everything to follow Jesus, demonstrates genuine repentance. Now let me just say, when I use that word repentance, oftentimes that word repentance, it's kind of like, oh man, that word again. Because you kind of get that sense like, oh, repentance means like, oh man, I got to beat myself up, you know, for all my past failures. You know, I don't really like repentance. Okay, no, that's a bad way to see repentance. Repentance is not a path of suffering. Repentance is actually a path to joy. If, this, if, if, if repentance was all about suffering, if that's the case, then why would Jesus say this in Luke 15, 7? Let me show it to you. Jesus says this. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Do you see here? Repentance is not pouring on the guilt and misery. Repentance is the first step towards celebration. This is why for Levi, his first act in following Jesus was not to hold a 24-hour fast. It was to hold a feast at his house. Repentance is not a miserable journey of self-loathing and of regret. Repentance brings the joy of heaven, and if there is joy and repentance in heaven, there is joy and repentance for you. So why is there joy? First is this. Repentance means you get a new identity. Levi got a new identity. Now, Levi would have been known in the community as a tax collector, and now he would be known as a follower of Jesus. Now, of course, people will always remember what Levi did but it will no longer define him. He is now first and foremost from this day forward, a follower of Jesus. And Levi, we know, was also given a new name. In other gospels, he's known by his more famous name, which is Matthew. And I believe that Jesus gave him this name. And Jesus does this quite often with those who follow him as well too. For example, Simon, he calls Peter, which means rock. Now, what does the name Matthew mean? It means gift of God. Now, let me ask you, how many of you guys would call a guy like Matthew a gift? Like, for example, right now, if you were to go back home and all of a sudden, like, you have an IRS guy knocking on your door, would you say, all right, a gift from God. Christmas came early. No, you would never say that, right? You're not going to look at an IRS guy and say, oh, you know, you're here to give gifts. When you see an IRS guy, you're thinking, he's going to take gifts from me. But Levi, you're a thief. But Jesus, like a good artist, knew what he was going to make Levi into, a disciple who would give it all for the sake of the gospel. 
His life is an example of what the grace of Jesus can do when we follow him. You know, another reason for great joy in this moment is because when you're a follower of Christ, you get a new mission, you get a new purpose. When you follow Jesus, his mission becomes your mission. Look at verse 30 to 32 here. It says this again. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do, you eat what why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, so this is the moment here. The party right now, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of celebration in Levi's house. But notice who isn't celebrating in this moment. It's the religious leaders. Instead of celebrating, they're criticizing. Why is Jesus with these sinners? Now Jesus, notice here, he never denies who he's hanging out with. He knows he's hanging out with sinners. He knows that he's with a less savory crowd. He doesn't excuse their sin. He doesn't minimize their sin. So Jesus here, now Jesus here, he doesn't fight back and say, oh, you know, when the Pharisees say, why is he with sinners? He doesn't say, oh, how dare you call them sinners? You don't know them, whatever. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and basically says, you know what? I agree. They're sinners. I'm not going to argue with you about it. But here's the question to you, Pharisees. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? For the Pharisees, their method of evangelism was nothing. They didn't reach the spiritually lost. Instead, their model of evangelism was to point the finger at bad people and say, those sinners, you shouldn't be with them, I'm not gonna be around them. These Pharisees and scribes had no mercy for sinners because they didn't believe that they needed mercy for themselves. But notice, Levi is totally different. He received the mercy of Jesus, and he now joins Jesus in proclaiming that mercy. Once Levi is transformed out of, out of his abundance of joy, he now shows off his new Lord to all his friends. And notice how natural it was for Levi to invite his non-Christian friends to meet Jesus. How easy it was for him to open up his house for ministry. No one had to force him. He didn't have to go to some evangelism conference to do this. He did it because of his joy in Jesus outweighed any fear that he had in evangelism. When a life is transformed in Christ, we too will welcome unbelievers in our lives like Jesus. We will practice generosity, hospitality. We will eat with others, which is one of our blessed missional practices. We will laugh with others. We will enjoy them. We will love them. We will hear their story. We'll share and be honest with our sins, faults, and failures so that they can see how Jesus transformed us. And we will do this because of the joy of the Lord in our hearts. We will do this because we've been so overwhelmed by the mercy of Jesus that it makes no sense for me not to tell anyone else about the mercy of Jesus. Let me ask you, what are you gonna do about all the spiritually lost around you? You know, are you gonna stay safe in your, your holy huddle? Is church only gonna be about a place for Christians, small groups for Christians, events for Christians, our finances for Christians, or will we go to them, open up our homes, open up our lives, and share the joy that we have 
in Christ. You know, when Matthew throws his party, he invites everyone he knows, and the only people he knows are other tax collectors and sinners in the community. So when this house is filled with the worst of the worst, and guess who is the guest of honor? It's Jesus. You have to see this. Before Jesus forgives sinners, he befriends them. Do you see that? Let's follow the example of Levi. Let's follow the example of Jesus. You know, how are you going to respond to Jesus' calling in your life? How are you going to respond as he calls you to follow him? Now, one way is to be like the Pharisees and say, you know what? I'm too good to need repentance. I'm too good to come to Jesus. You know, we, we all have people in our lives that, that never like to admit that they're sick, right? We, we have people like that. I'm like that too, right? That, you know, hey, man, you got a pretty nasty cough. That's a pretty high fever. You should probably get some medicine or go to the doctor. And we have friends who are just like, ah, oh, whatever, man. I'll, I'm fine. I'll just sleep it off. I'll, I'll, I'll be good, right? We know people like this. I, I, I'm like this. But the problem with people who never admit, like to admit that they have something wrong with them, if it is severe enough, it can lead to death. The same is true for those who never admit their need to come to Jesus. We call them spiritually dead. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.1 that, that you were dead in the trespasses and sins. The church is not for those who think that they are good. The gospel is for those who know that they are bad. So if you insist on saying that I have no need to repent, then Jesus has nothing to offer you. You push away his grace. Humble yourself before him today. You know, another way that we can respond to Jesus' calling to follow him is not so much, I'm too good to come to him, I'm too good to repent, but maybe you're on the completely opposite end. I'm too bad to come to Jesus. I'm too messed up that you believe that you have to clean up your life before coming to Jesus, that you have to get your act together, you have to overcome all your baggage, you have to conquer all your sins, and then you'll be worthy to follow Jesus. No, come to Jesus. You are exactly the one that Jesus is looking for. He has not come to call the righteous, but to save sinners. When Jesus saw Levi sitting at the tax booth, breaking all the commandments, he said to this sinner who was actively sitting, follow me. Thank God Jesus doesn't say, I have come to call the righteous, because if that was the case, he would not call any of us. And thus, we would never experience the joy of the transformation that Jesus brings. You know, Matt Chandler, a pastor in Dallas, put out this tweet uh, two weeks ago. And I just took a screenshot of it, and let me just show it to you here. He says this. He only takes the dirty. He doesn't take the clean because there aren't any. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus doesn't call the righteous, but calls sinners to repentance. This means that Jesus has come to call all of us. That Jesus came into the world to bring grace to all of us. That Jesus came into this world so that we can have new life for every single one in this room. So don't say that I'm too good to come to Jesus. Don't say I'm too bad to come to Jesus. Instead, faith says, I will follow Jesus.
I will leave everything for Jesus because there is nothing I give that Jesus hasn't given me more on the cross. I will open up my heart so that I can experience the love of Jesus. I will repent of my sins because his ways are better than my ways. I will entrust my life to Jesus so that I can discover the joy of what he can do when I am in his hands. You know, when you look at Levi's life, what God did in his life was more than anyone, especially Levi, could imagine. That God used Levi, Matthew, to write the very first gospel, the gospel of Matthew. Think about this. But who better here to take notes and to keep records of all that Jesus began to do and teach than a man who was skilled at recording in meticulous detail the entire taxes of a community? Who better to compile the first gospel than a man who was fluent in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, the common languages of the day? God took the skills and talents of this man that had once been used for selfish and corruptive purposes, and it's these same skills and talents that they were transformed to proclaim the good news of Jesus. No one but Jesus, not even Levi, would have known all that Jesus could do once he entrusted his life to Jesus. Levi lost a career, yes, but gained an eternal destiny. Levi lost material possessions, but gained a heavenly inheritance. Levi lost earthly security, but gained a spiritual future. Levi lost his earthly comforts, but gained a spiritual legacy. Friends, when we come to Jesus, he offers you the same grace, the same mercy, the same forgiveness, the same compassion. He'll forgive you of your sins when you come to him in repentance. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. He has come for you and for me. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. You know, before I pray for us, I want to give you a few moments in your seats to respond to his calling in your life. That right now he says to you, every single moment of every single day, follow me. For some of us, that follow me is a call to salvation. It's a call to turn from your sinful ways and to ask God for forgiveness, to call him your savior, to welcome Jesus as your savior, and to get off the throne of your life and to make Jesus your king. Is that the call that you have today? A call to salvation in Christ. Would you come to him in humility? For some of us, for some of us here, the call might not be a call to salvation per se, but a call to courageous obedience. Is there a challenge in front of you? Something that God's calling you to do and you've been kind of just like, man, I don't know if I want to give that up. I don't know if I want to make myself uncomfortable in that way. Would you ask Jesus to help you through the Holy Spirit to give you the ability and the power and the courage to obey and to give up everything to follow him? And maybe for some of us, maybe what we need to do is that we just need to come we're so discouraged. We're so heartbroken. There's just so much sadness in our hearts, so much loneliness. 
Maybe our lives just feel so messy. All you need to do is just cling to the cross. You don't even need to say a word. Just take a step to the cross and hug, like in my mind, just, just to put your arms around Jesus to experience his tender, loving care for you. Will you come to him in that way? And let him do that. So friends, let me just give you a moment to come to him in prayer, and then I'll pray for us. Father God, for any of us here today that are feeling any level of conviction or, or tugging in our hearts, God, that is you. That is the work of your spirit inviting us to come to you. And so, Father, I pray for my friends here, my brothers and sisters here in Christ, that, God, that we would do just that. That, God, that we would follow you. That, God, that we would be like Levi and with gratefulness, with the abundance of mercy that you pour out, with a heart that is full of joy, that, God, that we would be able to be able to, to see the things of the world and say that, you know what, you, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm okay giving up all those things. Just give me Jesus. Father, would you make that the anthem of our hearts? Or would you help us to be able to let that all go so that we can bring glory to Jesus, that we can give our lives and give our hearts to him? Father, we thank you for the grace that you bring, a grace that, that, that outweighs, that overcomes any sin that might be in our lives. That, God, we thank you for the transformation that you bring. That, God, that wherever we are at right now does not have to define us, but that we are now defined in the person and work of Jesus Christ that was accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection and in his ascension. Father, we thank you that that is where our faith is founded in, that that is where it's banked on. So, God, help us to live into that and live into it with great joy. Father, we thank you for Christ this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen.